0: Hi, this is hope this is kareem hi this is katie from washington dc and you're listening to no meet athlete radio
1: matt i don't even know where you are right now you're in texas is that right
0: i am in texas working on my texas accent
1: let me guess are you are you the celebrity judge at a barbecue competition
0: That's exactly right, Doug. They invited me all the way here just to make fun of me. And (laughs) the one vegan guy at the barbecue. Uh, no, you're, I'm you're the butt I'm, of the massive vegan barbecue joke <laughs> right now. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I'm at a conference, and and I am uh, this afternoon. I will be in the presence of one Tony Robbins, hearing Uh-oh. him hearing him speak, which is of course is exciting for me. But not at a Tony Robbins conference. No, just a just a regular old conference where Tony Robbins is the keynote speaker.
1: Okay, cool. which
0: will be cool because I've I've seen him several times now, but it's always in the context of his weekend long or week long event. So n- never. I'm interested to see what he'll do in a in a four-hour thing. It's funny because every other speaker speaks for forty-five minutes, uh-huh. and and you would think that would be plenty of time for a speaker. But for him uh, to think of him fitting a, a presentation into four hours, it just seems crazy. Like that, I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. It, it's funny that he's just he's a weird speaker. He's he's not a normal speaker at all. I wonder if he's going to do the whole hype thing. That he- what do you mean? What do you mean the hype thing?
1: Like, you know, get people up and dancing and...
0: Yeah, I, I'm wondering that exact thing. Because, you know, at his stuff, he has a huge sound system and people who know how to work the sound and do all that. So I'm I'm just curious to see how he will come into a different event that's not his own and, and handle stuff. I'm assuming there won't be any fire walking in the in house. The, <laughs> hours. Uh, probably not. Who knows? Anyway, it'll be fun. Um... So what else, Doug? We we've got some Q and A to get into, but I, I hear you're in a in a band that you guys did a a gig, right?
1: Yeah, we had our first uh, gig here in the presence of a true rock star. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, it was it might have you know it might have been a birthday party, but it was still <laughs> a show that we got to play, and it was a lot of fun.
0: All right. When I came to your birthday party a few weeks ago, uh huh, I met a guy in your band. And he said there was a three-year-old's birthday party coming up that you guys might be playing at. <laughs> that's, that's not what it was,
1: I hope. No, no. It was a it was a 70-year-old's birthday party, which I think is a little Much bit better. Much better.
0: Yeah. Okay. Much hipper crowd.
1: And you're you're the one who had told me that uh, R.A.M.'s first show was at a birthday party. And so if R.A.M. can do it. For someone their age,
0: though. Yeah, well, that's true. It was a college birthday party, and they were in college. So it was a little different than <laughs> being at a retirement home or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, they and they they impressed enough people and booking agents that it just took off from there. So I assume that that's what's going to happen. Exactly that's. what's going to happen. Yeah, I just can't imagine any other alternative to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. So, uh, you uh, this know.
1: might be my last podcast because I'm pretty sure that we're going to take off after this.
0: Maybe. <laughs> well, if you if you do, we can we'll say we knew you back way back when. Way back. When. Good okay, um well, that's good because you know we've been talking about hobbies and doing things outside of work and regular life, so I think it's it's a good thing that you're in a van and doing something. Well, thanks. you're very welcome <laughs> okay let's let's jump into some q and as These are ones that have just come in it's been a while since we've done a q and a episode, so these are what have come in over several months really. And we kind of just picking the best ones to to answer. We obviously can't get to all of them. Uh, But I think we will do another episode like this because we did notice that some of the questions were somewhat more in-depth nutrition questions, which I would really like to give good answers to. But I kind of don't want to just give off-the-cuff funny answers to. You know, I want to actually give good information and provide, you know, here's where you can go find more um, and and sound intelligent. So we'll we'll probably do a hard nutrition question Q&A episode after this, which won't probably be the headline or title of the podcast because (laughs) that. Not too compelling, uh, but this will be this will be some quicker ones that we can just sort of have fun with, but hopefully provide some some good value as well. All right, let's jump in, Doug. First one is from Mia, who says, "What is your opinion on alkalized water, and do you agree with some of the studies that say that raising the alkaline levels in us is a cure for all diseases, since disease requires an acidic environment to thrive and cannot survive in an alkaline environment?" All right, Doug. Uh, when you when you see that this might be the cure for all diseases does that uh, does that point you in one way or, or the other whether this is correct or not
1: uh you know usually when I see something like that I assume that it's true and uh, <laughs> may, you know just may adopt be, it just adopt it as truth. <laughs> as, no no anytime I see something that's claiming to be the cure to all diseases or even the cure to uh, you know a cure to just some diseases if it's not commonly practiced, then it's probably you know not not true, right? Right, uh, so, or not at least a hundred percent true.
0: Yes. So I, I don't mean to make fun of Mia here, of course, because uh, this is this is something that a lot of people are into or curious about. I myself have been really curious about this before, uh, and in fact, speaking of Tony Robbins, this is how uh, when I first became vegetarian, he it was because of his this presentation he had given, and his thing was this alkaline acid balance thing, and what basically what it amounts what, what happened for me is that it turns out the foods that are whole food plant-based they tend to be high alkaline anyway the stuff that's acidic is animal products processed foods uh and sugars which and i mean in, in a in a processed form even fruits i think are slightly acidic but you know just plain old white sugar much much more acidifying in the body so it turns out that like you don't i feel like you don't need to make this distinction maybe there's something to the acid alkaline thing and i'll talk about that in just a minute uh But if you look at the list of alkaline foods, it's all these green vegetables and whole stuff anyway. So I feel like that's pointing in the same direction as a lot of the studies about plant-based diets are, uh, particularly whole food plant-based diets. So I feel like we kind of don't need to, I don't know, split hairs and get to that point and say that it's not so much the whole food. It's much more this acid-alkaline thing because then you get into scammy stuff, I think, like alkaline water, right? And it's like, maybe we, can, maybe we can just eat what we want, but we'll just drink tons of this alkaline water and we'll keep our body in this alkaline state while eating all kinds of junk food. You know, so I, I don't think it's useful to go there. Um, let's see, and like you said, like if, if something is a cure for all diseases, so this was in 2009 when I heard this. If there were a cure for all diseases that, were, that was being spread in 2009, I promise you everybody would be using it by now and it would not be this obscure thing. Uh, so I, I, just don't think it's a big deal. However, I, I, do think like that's kind of a nice result of what happens. And I think there is more science recently. Like I have seen science that says, uh, and I think I saw this from Joel Furman, who said, who pointed out that like when the, when the body's in an acidic state, more acidic than it should be. And I don't know if it should be neutral or what the correct pH for the body is, but when, when you're in an extreme acidic state, your body will do whatever it takes to balance that acidic state. So If if it can't do that from the food you've put in the body, then it it will go to the point of leaching calcium from bones and other minerals, I think, from bones, and this is thought to be the reason why in Forks Over Knives, there's a nice little chart shown, I think it's also from the China study, uh, of the amounts of dairy consumption in different countries plotted against the rates of osteoporosis, and it turns out that people who have eat more dairy, which is thought to be an acidifying food... Um, actually have higher rates of osteoporosis when when all the marketing would say otherwise, right? Get your calcium for bone health and all that stuff. So there is something to acid alkaline in the body. Does that mean the answer is only eat alkaline foods or base your diet around this whole idea? I don't think so. I think it means base it around green vegetables and whole fresh foods, and that's going to, as a result, alkalize your body.
1: I like it. Yeah. Okay. I'm convinced. All right. (laughs) you ready to start chugging alkaline water, right? Well no, now now I think otherwise. <laughs> I, I was.
0: <laughs> That's all you drank, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um and I'll try to move a little faster through some of these. That one that one is particularly interesting yeah, to geez. me. But I know. All right. Boring. Next one's from from Deborah Lee, who has a question about cheese. Uh, she's been vegetarian. Actually, I'm going to read this as her. I've been vegetarian a good portion of my life, 56 years, and just this past June decided to go vegan. I love cheese, and I've yet to find a vegan one I like. I've not tried but a couple, and I'm not that thrilled with them. Can you provide information on cheese? Okay. Yes, we can provide information on cheese, Deborah Lee. Doug, why don't you, why don't you start us off? You're a cheese head. Ain't <laughs> <Hey, let's-> I? <laughs> I don't know
1: uh i really like cheese and uh or used to really like cheese and uh, what i will say is that as once you give it up once you take that make that leap there will be some growing pains and you will have some trouble uh you might have some cravings for that type of consistency and that flavor and you also you know are unsure of what to like put on pizza and, and and that kind of thing but um after a while it becomes no big deal anymore now i really don't crave cheese at all and uh you know I, I just don't. It's it's not a big deal anymore. But um, there are some pretty good cheeses. There are some pretty good artisanal cheeses that you have a lot more experience with than than I do. Um, and so I'll let you talk a little bit more about those. Uh, I haven't really found a good cheese for for pizza, like a really good one that I that I love. Sometimes I use something called I think it's called gourmet vegan cheeses or vegan gourmet. That's what it's called. Like guess it's like a like a mozzarella thing that isn't actually all that <laughs> <laughs> all Sounds that pretty good. <laughs> it isn't all that gourmet and it doesn't really melt that well. But they <laughs> they sell it at uh, at Ingalls, which is my grocer and um, it does the trick.
0: Your right? grocer, okay, <laughs> isn't, nice.
1: Isn't that, isn't that the right word? My... I think
0: if you live on like a farm and you have one guy <laughs> who runs a store, I think you call him your grocer. My
1: grocer, well, trying, uh, okay. I don't know. So, so my thoughts on cheeses are, um,
0: you're gonna learn to not love them as much anymore. So don't worry about yes. it too much. Yeah, so this is this is such a common question. Uh, I feel like everyone who wants to go vegan, even if they're not if they haven't given up meat yet, everyone's like, but well, I could never give up cheese. That's that's the big thing. And people will tell you that is because of some sort of Opioids or something that is in cheese, and there is something that chemically is addictive, like I guess like an opiate. I don't know something that it, about cheese that makes it very addictive, and no coincidence that so many people find it hard to give up. Um, yeah, I think Doug, you were right that there's like you have to just face that, right? It's it's something you need to sacrifice and not have, uh, but much much less so now than like probably ten years ago, because as you mentioned, there's there's really good artisan ones. Uh, my favorite is Miyoko's Kitchen. Miyoko Schinner went to Italy with us back in two thousand. I guess it was fifteen. She and I were co-hosts on an Italy tour, which was really fun. Got to meet her. Got to eat a lot of her cheeses, some of which were like the packaged ones that she is selling now, and some of which were more like she just made them on the fly. Um, And and those are amazing to me. Like they're they're not cheese. They're 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 made from cultured nuts. Uh, but the fact that, and and some of them are even more oil based than that, like the spreadable ones, but the ones that are just cultured nuts and don't have much else other than miso and whatever else she puts in there, but not nothing you wouldn't recognize nothing even some of them have not even oil, just just cashews or whatever um, they are cultured though, so they have sort of a cheesy funkiness to them just a little bit uh which is which is a good thing, and I feel like if you were to put them like you're not going to you're not going to have a cheese that you love a dairy cheese and then find a perfect vegan substitute that exactly tastes like that but to me the, the Miyoko's kitchen cheeses are good enough that if you like if you served them to cheese people and you just had eight cheeses out one of which was hers or a few of which was hers i don't think anyone would would just be shocked and be like what is this at the at the cheese tasting why is this here maybe maybe an expert would but to me they they just taste like another kind of artisan cheese so, I have been really thankful to find those, uh particularly because they're they're fairly healthy they're not like what you whatever you just mentioned techno mozzarella whatever uh, <laughs> they, they they are they're made from real food, so now and then I will eat those techno mozzarella as well the daya daya whatever it is. It does a fairly good job on pizza, but it is nothing like the real thing still. And, I sh- and nowadays, I actually prefer pizza just with, with... No cheese. Yeah, just straight up marinara style pizza. That's And I got that in Italy. When I went to Italy, I realized that they were doing that, not to be vegan. It was just a style of pizza. Right. It was like this garlicky sauce with uh with basil. Yep. So I'd, I just tend to prefer that over the... the stuff. I've kind of gotten less and less into that, but I've gotten more and more into the the Miyoko stuff. There's another one called called Kite Hill that people talk about. I've never had that, but I think they have more options, even like uh like a blue cheese and all different kinds of things. So I don't know that, Deborah lee That is that is what I would say. Try Miyoko's. Try Kite Hill. Try the artisan vegan cheeses, not not the ones that. And, and this probably means going to like a Whole Foods or something. Somewhat more, uh, more sophisticated than Doug's neighborhood grocer, who who might have just some interesting things. But I would I would give those a try. And uh, but, they're not. But do not they like know a... your name? Because mine does. <laughs> That's true. They probably don't. Uh, anyway, like we said, they're not substitutes and they're not health food, but they're they're not that bad and they're and they're not bad for you. So.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think more than anything for me anyway, and this is a personal experience, of course. Um. What I, I don't necessarily crave the texture of cheese, but I do crave sometimes the creaminess that um, cheese or cheese sauces and that kind of stuff create. But, and you can make those. I mean, you can hand make those with nuts, cashews, and, and whatever pretty easily, It's just a blender. Um, and I, you know, I think that I have started using those more and more on sandwiches or on burgers or something like that in replace of cheese, and that's been uh, really
0: good. Good. Like it. Uh, you know what else, Doug, I like recently? What's that? Those vegan, like, deli cuts. Those deli meats uh, that you get. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. They, I, I started using them in a couple of recipes. Uh, like really? the, smo- the, like the I think, I don't know who makes it. Maybe it's Tofurky brand. It probably is Tofurky. Um, like, they're smoked. They just call it smoked. Something. So it's basically like smoked turkey, but it's not. Uh-huh. Um, and I needed some kind of smoky ham-like thing to put in a recipe, so I used that. But I started like snacking on it as I was cooking, and it's just delicious. <laughs> like, it's just addictive. My oh, kids listen. love it. So. Yeah, and, and that's see, not, man. When I first went vegetarian,
1: I ate those things all the time. <laughs> yeah,
0: they're not that bad for you. It's they, it's made from wheat gluten and tofu, and it's not like textured soy protein or anything. It's it's fairly not that processed. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Uh, this one is from Elizabeth, who says, "Hey Matt, I enjoy your emails and your website. Do you have any suggestions for a no meat triathlete? My friend and I are training for a half Ironman and struggling with the proper nutrition that should accompany our training. Thanks for any feedback." Okay, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, if you were listening to what's the name of like a cool triathlon podcast, Doug, like try try boys or try uh try guy. Yeah, the Try Guys. If you listen to the Try Guys podcast, they would probably tell you that. I hope it's not a real podcast, by the way. It might be. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> it should guy. be if it's not. <laughs> uh, you know, they, if that was a pro triathlete type pro- podcast, I'm sure they would have specific triathlon ingredients. Similarly, if you if you listen to a serious running or weight training or any other sport podcast, there probably are very very specific nutrition requirements that will give you that one percent edge. Maybe, maybe even who knows? Maybe not even that. Yeah. Uh, but to me, triathlon is an endurance sport like running, and therefore nutrition requirements are going to be the same. Like You could, you could argue that triathlon is more a full-body workout. Maybe there's a little bit more muscle tearing and rebuilding happening from swimming. Uh, I don't know that that would dictate any difference. To me, that's an endurance sport, and so is running. and uh, It's just not going to be that different. Like, like, like I said, a pro, someone whose life depends on this, Sure, they can get deeper into it, but for a regular person, even someone who I think is semi-serious about about sports, uh, it's all the same. The nutrition. I mean, it's, it's just if you eat whole plant foods and you you I, the, whatever your nutritional philosophy is, whether it's whether it's I don't know, high carbohydrate like a typical endurance athlete, or high fat like which is sort of the trend recently among some people. Um, you know, either, any of those techniques is going to apply equally well to these different sports. So it's just pick one of those those approaches, and it's not going to matter whether you're doing triathlon or running. That, that's my take on it In as someone who tries to sort of simplify things and not, not, you know, lose the forest for the trees, so to speak. Doug, you as a running coach, see anything differently than that?
1: No, not at all. I mean, I, I would approach triathlon nutrition exactly as I would approach uh, something of equal time, uh, you know, uh, in running, so if it was ta- if it took you six hours to run a half Ironman, then I would approach it the same way as I would approach a six-hour ultra marathon.
0: Yeah, and that's actually a very good point. Like I, I said, running as if running is only one type of running. There there are different nutrition strategies, especially during around workouts and during workouts between say a five k race or someone who's training for a 5K and someone who's training for an ultra. Even if the person training for that 5K is, is a really good runner and a very serious runner, there's going to be different strategies. But so yeah, l- let the time I think of your event m- more than whether it's triathlon or running dictate nutrition. Uh, I mean, there, there probably are some specific things like how do you eat on a bike or how do you, how, do you eat while swimming? You know, there are questions like that for sure. Uh, and Susan Lakey, who who has been a part of Nomad Athlete for a long time, she and I together wrote, uh, triathlon roadmap. So if you Google no meat athlete, triathlon roadmap, you can find that, uh, the nutrition strategy, like from my end, I wrote the, the nutrition part, you know, that's, that's coming from the same place as a running nutrition strategy, but she did add in some things about how do you feel, you know, for specific workouts, like more like logistical things than nutrition concerns. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Okay. Definitely. Cause it would be a little challenging to eat a, you know, eat some dates on the swim. Got to say that would be, yes, it <laughs> certainly would.
0: <laughs> you probably don't, probably don't want to do that. No, don't do that. Uh, All right, next one is from Chris, who says, I missed the last run of the cycling kit. Just wondering how long till the next run, if there is one. Uh, yes, Chris, there is one. I don't know exactly how long it will be, but I can tell you that a new design is in the works using the current, well, which is still sort of new to me, but the, the Nomad Athlete logo. I think we've put out one cycling kit in several different runs based on that new logo, but there's a brand new, totally redesigned one, which actually looks really cool. Uh, so that will be out sometime this year. I don't really know when, or, or have concrete plans for that. But if you pay attention to the podcast uh, and or the email list, you will you will find out about that. Okay, this one from Al, A <laughs> L A-L-, Al, not Al. Doug and I we had a little bit of a confusion <laughs> over his name when Al. <laughs> Al. Yeah, I was thinking it was it was a question about an Al, and I and I just couldn't find it anywhere.
1: You know, so you're you're a Yankee kind of right, Maryland.
0: It yeah. depends how you define it, but but I guess you could say that.
1: Or yeah, you at least more
0: northern than I am. Yeah, south uh, of the Mason-Dixon line, though.
1: I thought Virginia was the Mason-Dixon line. No,
0: the top of Maryland is Mason-Dixon.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: I had a friend in college who called it the Mason-Dixie line. He didn't know any better. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. <laughs> you, you know him, Pat. He, he ran on our Ragnar uh, team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Pat. Um... Uh,
1: what was I saying? Oh, right. Uh, Pin and pen. you know, uh, P-I-N and P-E-N. Yes. Uh, I used to get made fun of so much in DC because when I say it, they sound exactly the same. And when I hear people say it, I can't tell the difference.
0: And I mm-hmm. think that's a Southern thing. I think we, we say it the exact same way. I think you're right that that is a Southern thing. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because just two days ago, <laughs> I edited your blog post and uh-huh. you, were, you were talking about keeping a running journal and you said pin and paper, P-I-N and paper. Yeah, I also don't know how to spell it. And you said it twice in the same sentence. I was like, he didn't just type with this once. He actually thinks it's pin. <laughs> <laughs> so I edited that. But I was at this conference, so I didn't have a chance to make, make fun, fun, fun of, of me that so <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but so, so I, I also don't know how to spell it. But when I say it, I, you know, like I can't, I can't, even when people try to tell me how to say it differently, I can't, it just doesn't come out differently. Yeah. And I, and I, I think Al and Al probably the same way.
0: <laughs> yeah. I that that could very much be. Anyway. I, I think I say Al and my wife makes fun of me for this. I say the word things like owl, I say them Al. Like her name's Erin, and I say Erin, but she says something like Erin or something. Like I don't know. I just say it Aaron. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, this one's from Al. A L. Uh, I'm enjoying the vegetarian way and about 80% now. In the last three years, I've been training for ultra races. Last year, I completed a 100-miler, hearing much about diet and working to tune my diet as I train and alter along. In my training runs and the most recent 50K, I used real food only, no commercial energy gels, blocks, or bars. I'm now wondering about the need for multivitamins and powders. I do not eat organic food. Uh, I noticed you only eat real food, no powders. I know there are many questions to this and answers to this question, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Okay.
1: It's kind of a um, couple questions here.
0: It kind of is a couple questions, and I think this is a very common thing that people just, when you first go vegetarian, actually this is a little bit different in that he, he doesn't do any stuff. I think a lot of people who start, when they first go vegetarian or first go vegan, they kind of have all kinds of different powders and things, and, and as you learn more about it, you start to realize you probably don't need that much of that stuff, and you start to reduce it. Um but I think if you were someone who didn't it would be quite natural to wonder do I need all the stuff that I see other runners and and even other just you know plant-based people eating. Um so let, let's separate one thing here that that Al said he said I'm now wondering about the need for multivitamins and powders. Uh that's that to me is a separate thing. Multivitamins that let's think of that as like supplementation uh and I think it is a necessary supplementation if you're going to be 100% plant-based. Al if you're just going to be 80% vegetarian then you may not need to I don't really know um, b12 in particular is the one that that you hear most often that that vegans in my opinion absolutely need and almost everyone will agree with that there there are a few who will still argue that you can get b12 from plant sources but or from whole plant sources uh, but i I just haven't seen enough evidence of that being true and and there are even b12 deficiencies among people who are not vegan so to me if you're if you're anywhere near plant-based I believe you should take a a vitamin b12 supplement and there are a few others that I think are really important in the long term. too. Like, b is probably going to, within one to two, three years, going to start affecting you if you don't take it. Uh, there are others that will probably take a little longer to start noticing the effects, but nonetheless are, are really important. Those being vitamin D and uh, omega-3s, particularly DHA and EPA. And there are many more things to say about those that is way way too much for this, this conversation. Um, so, th- you know, that to me is like, when, when he says multivitamins, I think about, that, even though they're not multivitamins. They're just one vitamin or omega-3s. Um, but so, like yes, you do need that stuff. I think that's really important to take. Probably not going to have an impact on your running. So the question I think Al is more asking is, like as far as my training goes, do I need to be eating, fueling myself, basically, putting, putting calories into my body in the form of something other than real food? Do I need gels, blocks, bars, uh, powders? So... Doug, why don't you why don't you take it from here, Doug, and I'll chime in. I mean, what what do you think? Do you do you think a runner needs those things as an ultra runner? I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, here's what I think. I I think that I totally understand why people who are eating clean and and make eating clean and eating vegan or vegetarian a priority, um, you know, on a day to day basis. I totally understand why they would want to then fuel their run and their races uh, that same way. So what I like to remind people of is that we don't spend all that much time racing, right? We, you know, you might train for months, but the race itself is just a few hours, if that, or maybe, you know, if it's an ultra marathon, maybe a day or something like that. It's such a small part of the grand scheme, or like the big picture of our nutrition. So during that short period of time, you know, I put all this effort into training, I don't want to waste it because I'm not using optimal nutrition. So I, I will do anything I can to use the, you know, assuming that it's vegan, of course, um, uh, to get the optimal nutrition for that race and for whatever run I'm doing. So for me, that means using energy gels and energy bars, things that have been optimized for, uh, you know, endurance sports. Um, and I have nothing wrong with I have, I have no, you know, no part of me says there's anything wrong with that because, uh, that's what I've been trading for. And that's what, that's what I should use. So of course, everyone is different. Everyone's stomach is different. So you have to test things out and see what works for you. For me, I can handle gels and, uh, they go down pretty easy for other people that might give them some nausea or something like that. And they might want to use, um, you know, a mixture of blocks or bars or whole foods, you know, real foods like dates and fruits and, uh, things like that. But, um, you know if if just because you're a vegan and you're eating a whole plant-based diet most of the time doesn't mean that you should shy away from those uh, sports drinks and sports uh, foods during the race itself.
0: Yeah, uh, I tend to agree with you, Doug. Before I chime in with a few added things, uh, I should acknowledge that that I have moved across the country in the in the, that short <laughs> time that you were <laughs> answering that. whoa, uh, yeah, I know, it was it was it's amazing. Uh, what happened was that, was that we had some, some technical issues, who knows, maybe due to my being in a hotel room, but, uh, anyway, we have, through the magic of podcasting, I've been transported and now, uh, probably sound a little bit different, so i am just wanted to make sure no one thinks we're playing tricks on them or something.
1: And that, that's why this podcast is, is late, we should (laughs) say. We
0: should say, because this is the third time we've tried to record this thing. Yeah. Um, and got smart this time and said, we're going to save the first half and, and continue from there. So anyway, um, yeah. So I, the, the person I'd like to bring up here is Michael Arnstein, who is known as the fruitarian. A lot of people listening to this probably know that already. Uh, he's a really good ultra runner. He has some, some distance records, like in the, I don't know, maybe a few years ago, he had run the seventh fastest hundred mile time by an American with some, something like a, just sub 13 hours or something, a crazy time. And, uh, he, you know, he, he eats the purest, cleanest diet I can think of in that it's all raw fruit and vegetables and almost nothing else almost not even any nuts and seeds i mean very very little else besides fruit and vegetables and uh even on his race days he says he's there to perform like the reason the reason for him to eat that way all the time is because he it's it's for performance he wants to perform as well as he can so if that means on race day eating some energy gels then that's what he's going to do and that's what he does do and he had some sort of horror story about when he tried to eat dates for an entire hundred mile or what happened. So you he know that that <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh right. So <laughs> I mean just in case someone thought it was like a murder or something else horrific. Yeah, I don't know. I needed to clear, to clear it up. It. Yes. Thank you. Um yes, so anyway he does that. To me, that's a pretty good example of the mindset that, that you were talking about. And I think that's the right mindset. For most people who care that much about doing events like this and put that kind of time into the training, uh, it seems a little bit silly to me that you would that you would sacrifice performance in exchange for something that, it, you know, it's, it's not going to make you any healthier because it's so, like as you said, it's so rare that you have race day. It's even relatively rare that you have long run days. So you could even do the stuff on your long runs if that was your way of getting used to it. And I, your health, I do not believe, is going to have any ill effects as a result. Um, So I agree. I I will say that Alex, I know some people get into ultra running maybe after they've gone plant based. That happens a lot and take it up as a, I don't know, totally natural, cool activity. They are born to run. And and it's just this totally natural thing. And they don't want to eat any fake stuff. They just want to, you know, fuel with, with whatever. Berries that they find along the side of the course. Now, that's that's. Not, I'm not actually recommending that you do that because I think you should have a <laughs> reliable uh, fuel source. But ultra running is, is kind of unique in that the the intensity for the entire race really is is low enough that your body, most people's body, can actually digest whole foods for a pretty long time during that. Now, 100 miler's that's kind of an exception. You you start to get to a point when you know who knows what you can digest. It just probably varies day to day. But 50Ks, even 50 milers, people get by on those with with just Whole Foods all the time. And uh, if if that appeals to you, you know, you picked a good sport. You can probably make that work and be fine. Uh, I think you'll probably notice a performance boost if you can get yourself used to eating gels, blocks, and bars. Uh, I think that will come in handy for you. But I don't think it's a requirement by any means. Yeah. Good. Okay. So that is Al's, and our next question comes from Joyce. Who that's says, nice yes, Joyce says, I am a non competitive runner who has gone back to distance running, which means 10k, 10 milers, and half milers uh, on the weekends, mostly races. I don't run much during the week, which I need to increase. I've been on a mostly vegan diet for about six weeks, 40 pounds overweight, and have lost about seven pounds. Um, okay, so then she says, I ran a half on Sunday and had no energy in my legs. Uh, my 20th in the last 18 years am my slowest. So that's, that's kind of a big deal. Think that I'm not taking in enough protein and carbs, and reluctant to carbo load like I used to since I'm trying to lose weight. Uh, okay, so the question is: Is, is there any advice? Okay, uh, the preface that we always give, that I always give, and, and do firmly believe, is that trying to lose weight and trying to run your fastest race—they uh, are—they are, you know, competing often counterproductive goals. So it is difficult to do both of those things at the same time. The main reason being what what Joyce just said, uh, that when you when you're breaking yourself, and she's she's talking, I guess, more about you know carb loading in advance of a race or of a workout. But I think maybe a bigger even issue is is when you talk about recovery. That running, you know, the point of, of doing these runs is to exercise your body, break yourself down. Muscles literally break down, and then you rebuild them, and you and you put in the goal of, of someone, you know, the nutrition goal is replace everything you lost, so that your body can can get better and adapt, and that you show up next time you're just that next point one percent better, and you do that a couple hundred times, and then you're a way better runner. So of course, that is that is uh, you know counterindicated, I guess, with uh, with a weight loss goal. You would not try to try to replace all the stuff you lost. The point of exercise with weight loss, typically, is so that you create this calorie deficit. So you wouldn't try to replace that stuff that you burned off. So that's, that's the fundamental issue. Uh, so I think my advice would be if you if your goal is run your fastest waist fastest race, uh, I would say probably because Joy said she's overweight, I would focus on the weight loss first, not, not try to do it as, as a distance runner, just do what it takes to lose weight. Um, whether that's a short term thing or a long term thing, do something that is focused on that. And, uh, get that done first before you care about race times or anything else and then by virtue of having lost not even 40 20 pounds 10 pounds you're going to start running faster races so i would do that first and then i would focus on the on the the racing uh and then you can eat properly for racing so that's that's my take I know there are people who believe differently, like Pamela Ferguson, who wrote a guest post on our blog, Doug, a couple months ago. I don't remember the name of it. Do you? If if not, I can look it up while you're talking. I don't. Um, no. And she she there outlined some ways that that she believes you can effectively, uh, I think even be a marathon runner, and while you're trying to lose weight. So I will look that up uh, while you, Doug, chime in with whatever you have to add.
1: I don't have too much to add, but I, you know, I kind of um, I'm on the same page of you where they they conflict the they're two conflicting goals so if you really if it's a race goal that you want um, then that should be your main focus and you should be eating to fuel and to recover and to really prepare your body for that race goal and if weight loss is the goal then then that is a different you know mindset and, and you, you should treat it differently uh, which I think is is surprising to a lot of people that they might be, following a training plan for a marathon and running their first marathon or something like that and spending all this time running, but then they're also fueling with, for what with what they need to, uh, to recover and to give themselves the energy they need. And they end up actually gaining weight, even though they're doing way more running than they've ever done before, they end up actually putting on weight. And that is surprising to a lot of people, but that's kind of just the nature of, of the beast of, of endurance sports is you have to eat a lot. You have to fuel yourself a lot in order to
0: uh,
1: ask so much of yourself.
0: That sounds good, Doug. I was not listening at all, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure what you said was accurate and true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, was, I was
1: talking about how, how weird you are.
0: Okay. <laughs> cool. How nerdy it is to play chess and uh-huh, all that yep, stuff. Exactly. Okay. Um, the post that Pamela wrote is called "The Real Reasons You Gain Weight While Training for a Marathon and What You Can Do About It." Uh, if you Google, well, just it's nomadathlete.com slash marathon dash weight dash gain, uh, written sometime at the end of last year. So it is there. Uh, she does have a lot of good advice. Also, she was on episode 162 of our podcast, not speaking about that uh, topic, but we always try to bring in, I don't know, for some reason we struggle to get female voices. I don't know what it is about me and you, Doug. Maybe we repel females in some way, uh, but <laughs> always happy to have more. So I was, I was very, very happy to have Pamela on. And and it's not, you, not me. Man. <laughs> good. They can smell me through the, uh-huh. the microphone. Yeah. All right, uh, good. So let's see. What else? Oh, I was gonna say one more thing. Um, I guess. Well, I'm not gonna say one more thing. I was gonna try to give some advice and say, well, let's let's say that that Joyce is more along Pamela's lines and doesn't doesn't want to to stop one of the goals. Wants to keep going after both, which some people might want to do. Um, you know what what can you do? You know, I don't know. Like, is is it true that possibly you're not taking in enough protein and carbs? I would I would think it's quite possible that you're not taking in enough carbs. And and as we said, that that's that's sort of hard to do when you're trying to lose weight as well. I I highly doubt the protein is the issue. It just tends not to be. Chris Carmichael, uh, Lance Armstrong's old coach, speaking to omnivores, not speaking plant based or you know anything like that. He recommends like 12% up to 15% protein. Never really goes beyond that, I don't think. And you know, that it's just it, it's very easy to get that amount on a plant-based diet. So if you're sticking mostly to whole foods, you are probably getting somewhere between 10 and 15% protein, and I, I just don't think it's an issue for endurance athletes at all. Uh, but the carbohydrate, definitely, unless your approach is one that is based on fat, which some people do, uh, I, think, I think carbohydrates are going to cost you if you're not eating enough of them. All right, moving on. This one from Laura, who says, uh, very briefly, help lack of B12 frowny face causing fast heart palpitations and sore muscles and an upset stomach plus a rash in my skin and dizziness uh please help me i'm vegan i don't want to quit another frowny face
1: man she is having a bad day
0: yeah she sure is it sounds like that uh that shell silver poem sick you know that one <laughs> i cannot go to school today said uh-huh. little peggy mk gash rash purple bumps sounds like sounds like laura's having that going on uh so all we need to do is tell her that today is Saturday and she can go out and play. Yay. <laughs> uh, no, but the, the solution isn't much more than that. It's not much harder than that. The solution is take a B12 supplement. So yes, there is a lack of vitamin B12 on a plant-based diet and uh, some of that stuff – Nervous system type issues she didn't mention tingling, but you know heart palpitations I don't know I don't know if that specifically is a symptom, but that seems like it could be a nervous system issue, and that that's what happens when you when you don't have b twelve not the, not the heart palpitations necessarily themselves, but nervous system stuff so anyway, uh very serious thing, definitely take care of that, but it's not surprising that happens if you just eat a plant-based diet and you don't supplement with b twelve because the plant-based diet by itself is deficient in b12 some will argue. Some will say that you can get it from dirty produce, and if you don't, you know, that means don't wash your produce and make sure it's grown in or grown in soil that that you know is still rich with with the B12 or the bacteria, I should say, that that c- contains the B12. Um, so yeah, and yeah, you have to take a, a B12 supplement. Not not giving medical advice, but if you want to be vegan and make it last, that that's what I would say. You need to take a B12 supplement. Uh, lots of argument disagreement on whether you should take cyanocobalamin or methylcobalamin, and how much you should take. But you know that's that is a, another level of sophistication. Just go buy a B12 supplement at at the grocery store, store and take that, and nah. uh, it will probably help you. Yeah, I, people, I think you can take B12 sh- shots and get it, you know, get the levels to bounce back much faster. Hmm. But uh, you know, it, the fundamental here, the fundamental issue is take a B12 supplement. Uh, And there are a few others as well. D and uh, the omegas, uh, DHA and EPA specifically, are very, very hard to get on a plant-based diet in the way that most of us now live, uh, indoors and not in the sun, in the case of D. Uh, And a lot of people think that because they eat flax seeds and walnuts that they can get omega-3s that way, but it turns out that's just ALA, and you also need DHA and EPA. Some people can convert the ALA into those things, but many, many people cannot Uh, So I would recommend, at a minimum, supplementing with those three things. I think Uh, you
1: mentioned that in yesterday's portion of the podcast.
0: Yes, I think I did mention some of it. Maybe not in that level level of of Detail, no. Yeah.
1: So uh, I'm curious, Matt, if you feel like, if you eat some sort of B12 fortified cereal or lots of nutritional yeast or something like that, do you still think that a supplement is a good idea? Or is that enough supplementation? Yeah,
0: like like so. Sid Garza Hillman, who's been on this podcast a few times, uh, to too much many people's dismay. I think uh, he that's how he gets it. I think <laughs> <laughs> uh. he I, if I'm not mistaken he he may actually take a pill. But there are some people who just maybe it was Rat, Matt Rusigno. not not Rat Musigno, uh, his alter ego twin brother. Uh, he he I think gets it through nutritional yeast, and like that's fine if you consistently do that and you consistently get nutritional yeast from a source that you are sure has the b12 in it but you know people buy it in bulk sometimes and i don't know that it's always labeled maybe it is uh but i also think like if you're someone who just eats nutritional yeast once a week then i don't know what happens if for some reason you don't eat it a couple weeks in a row because you only ate it in this one meal and for some reason you skip that meal twice a week i don't know or twice a twice a month sorry i'm i'm talking gibberish it must be uh jet lag doug Mm. Uh, anyway, I, I just don't like that level of randomness. I kind of want reliability, and b it, detail it, is probably something where it's okay that, to miss now and then. It's it's not something where your body stores it, and, and you can you can last for a little while without it. Um, but just with supplements in general, I kind of like to know for a fact that I'm getting it, and with some specific regularity. So that's why I like that. Uh, but I think it is. I think it is up to up to you. I mean, even pills. It's hard to know for sure that you're getting the right thing. There's lots of stuff these days about about mislabeled pills, and I think often it's intentional or just a part of not oversight on the manufacturers, end, but but you know cost cutting or whatever. Uh, and and often it seems like when, in these studies, the the ingredient that is most expensive is always the one that is least uh, least accurately represented in, on the label. So I don't know. I'm just saying it's hard to trust that. So why should we trust that in our nutritional yeast? It's going to show up. Uh, that's just my take, but I don't know. What do you do? Uh, you take a supplement? Or you do you do the fortified food thing?
1: I have done both. Right now, I'm doing a supplement, mm-hmm. um, but I've I've actually only been doing supplement again for probably about three or four months. And before that, it was it was just fortified foods. So I kind of go back and forth. But um, I, I tested low in vitamin D, so I've been taking more of a. I've been getting back on the supplement train.
0: Yes. Good uh, and and I think D is is going to be the next B twelve. I think it's the one that people are starting to discover that they are they are deficient in. It's not just the fault of the plant based diet. It, it's probably more the fault of our of our modern lifestyle. We we don't spend a lot of time out in the sun because work requires us to work indoors. So uh, yeah, I think I think it's important and I think it's it's good that people are that it is growing. And the awareness of it is growing. Yeah, definitely. Okay, good. Uh, so anyway, the moral of the story is take a B12 supplement. Next one, last one actually for today from Jansen or Jansen or who knows what.
1: Should we just hold off and answer this one in, on a part four of this call tomorrow?
0: <laughs> no, we should not do that at all. Okay. <laughs> we, should, we should finish so we don't have to do this again. Uh, okay, so she says, uh, or he, I don't know, he, she, somebody from Europe, I bet. It says, do you guys have a specification for a general recommended daily requirements of nutrients, and that being protein, calcium, iron, vitamins, etc. for average male and female between the ages of twenty-five and thirty-five? All right, Doug. Since I just spoke for a little while, why don't you uh, why don't you kick this one off? Because I think I know your answer. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because you
1: heard it when we yeah, recorded <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Uh, you know, so here's my thoughts on any sort of specific recommendations in general (laughs) is, uh, you know, unless you're sick, unless you're, you feel like you're deficient in something, you're feeling some sort of, either you've gotten your blood work done and you see that you're deficient or you're having symptoms and signs that that maybe you're not getting enough of a certain uh, nutrient, then I wouldn't worry about it. As long as you're eating a well-balanced whole foods diet, then you're getting most, you know, most people will be getting plenty of what they need. Now, I will say that it is good to check that type of thing. Like, like I just did recently, I got blood work for the first time in, I guess it was about two years ago that I got it. And, and I found that I was low in a few things and worked to improve that. And then I just recently got blood work done again and uh, found that vitamin D was still a problem. So now I'm supplementing with that. Um, but you know so it is so it is good to check on those things and then after you check and you see where you are it's good to um you know take a few days to really break down what you're eating and what you're getting so you can just have a better general idea of of what it is that you're taking in but i don't think it's sustainable at all for people to be following specific guidelines or um, recommendations day in and day out you just you can't live that way when it comes to food because you know there are so many variables with food And it's just not, it wouldn't be fun. I think you would grow so old of it that you would then just fall back on whatever you were doing before.
0: Good. Uh, yes, I agree with you, Doug. And I, I especially like that you pointed out that, that like we most people probably don't need to worry about this. If you're eating just, you know, whole plant foods and you're educated and you, you know, to supplement with, with the important things, um, and not not even to say that, that you have to universally agree with what we said you should sub, should supplement with, but you've done some research and thought about it and made that decision for yourself. Uh, then if you're just eating a variety of whole plant foods, I think you're probably gonna be fine. Uh, but like you said, it's important to make sure of that. And and you could find that out by, you know, just random doctor's visit or or you know, a, a symptom creeping up and then you go to the doctors and then you find out you're you're deficient in something. But better would be of course to, to kind of be proactive about it and there's lots of blood testing services out there you don't have to just go through your doctor you can go do something like inside trackers one i did a while ago uh and it was neat there was a lot of a lot of good information that came out of that um as well as some that was a little bit a little bit bad but <laughs> <laughs> anyway anyway th- different story um so you can go you can go look at these things and find out this information proactively uh Rather than just waiting for something to crop up. And one one I think not not quite as good as going and getting your blood tested is you can actually analyze your diet. You can keep a food journal for three days and write down exactly what you eat, which, like you said, Doug, is unsustainable. Not something that, that I would at all recommend doing for your whole life, because that's just to me is ridiculous that someone would try to eat that way. Uh, but but do it for a couple of days and make those days typical and then see where your typical day has you. If it has you sort of low on just to say protein, because that's that's one that people tend to think about all the time. If, if it seems that your kind of your average typical day is on the low end of the the US RDA protein, then then yeah, I mean that is something to think about, I guess, and focus on. Uh, so I don't know. I, I just would kind of know where you are on a typical day, and therefore let that kind of dictate like how should you adjust your your typical day. So that's that's my take, uh, I, I don't really look at those specific numbers or, at all. I, I just, like you said, it's just kind of too much to, to deal with that. If you do want to find them out, we did write a post uh, about this a while ago. It's at com slash nutrients. Uh, I wrote it with the aforementioned Matt Roussignot, who is a vegan registered dietitian. And uh, we looked at that and we looked at the... Different amounts. Actually, the amounts that were recommended in Tim Ferriss's book, and he kind of gave his take on whether uh, more or less of that is needed, or whether that was a, a bad suggestion by Tim Ferriss or a good one. And uh, that that's one place you can begin. Uh, you can also just go, you know, look up on on. I don't know what the website actually is, but you can find these these U.S. recommended daily allowances. Very easy to find. Just Google that term, and uh, and you will start to find the actual numbers. You can you can look at your your age and your weight and your gender and i think those are the three inputs there might be a little bit more than that uh and you can you can find out how much you do need so if, if you want to go by that go for it you'll be surprised when you look at that the protein number there is not even high i know like when i first heard that i thought well if i go look at that and it's been influenced by you know big agriculture then it's going to be some crazy protein number it turns out that it's not it's it's actually a quite low number and it's and it's I don't know, personal trainers or whoever that inflates this, the protein number and tells us we need a gram per pound of body weight per day. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly, Doug. So anyway, that, that's my take on that. Uh, so no, I'm not going not gonna to give specific numbers, but they are, they are readily available. You just got to find somebody who you trust. And, uh, and if you trust the US government, then, uh, then that's, that's your place to go to find those numbers. Uh, but anyway, check out that one, nomadathy.com slash nutrients. And uh, it, it is a good jumping off point for that kind of that kind of study. That's it. Doug, do you have anything else uh to add here? I got nothing. That's it. Not not a thing? Not a thing. Okay. Well, since we had no ad here, what I will add is my own ad. And that is uh <laughs> a call for you to pre-order the Nomad Athlete Cookbook. It's called The No Meat Athlete Cookbook, and if you just Google The No Meat Athlete Cookbook, you will, you will find an array of websites from which you can pre-order it. It comes out in May and uh, has has been doing really well. People have been have been responding already to my request to, for people to pre-order it. We made that, that Sports Illustrated list of the seven best health and wellness books of 2017, and uh, it was picked up by people, so that was cool as well. So anyway, uh, you can you can do that, or go to nomadathlete.com slash cookbook, and you will you will be directed to uh, my publisher's page where you can you can search and and pick your your outlet of choice to get it from.
1: Very cool! I Can't good wait enough.
0: to check it out. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can, not Doug. No, it's be I really good. am excited about it. Good, yeah, I am too. I, we we really worked very hard to uh, I don't know fill a hole, in my opinion, like like just make. I just feel like it's been needed. There, there are lots of – in the since the time we've been doing No Meat Athletes, or since 2009, there are lots more options of cookbooks for people who eat plant-based diets and even active people who do so. But I feel like there hasn't really been – I don't know. One that is just totally designed with athletes in mind in terms of busyness and some around workout nutrition and some just other like the type of good, hearty, substantial food that, that one would like to eat after a workout – uh, without, without, you know, getting too crazy, as we kind of mentioned before with the triathlon and the running, like without picking one sport and trying to just go overboard on the exact precise nutrition, it's just a good all around, uh, way of eating athlete or not really. So that's, that's my pitch for it. Nomadathlete.com slash cookbook is the place you can pre it, And if you do, I would really appreciate it because, uh, a lot of work went into it and, and I, I am hoping for it to do well. Fair so, enough, Doug. Fair enough. Nice. Don't, you don't think I was going to stop listening to the podcast because of that pitch?
1: Uh, you know, maybe a couple.
0: If you will drop off? Okay. Well, it's all right. <laughs> what are you going to do? No, it's not. We want to keep yeah, everybody well, around. We also want to keep the lights on in my house, though. So true. <laughs> That is very true. Yes. All right. Uh, so I think that is it. Thank you, everyone, for bearing with us uh, as, I, as I hopped on a plane and crossed country and us being a little bit late with this episode. But uh, keep the questions coming. You know what, Doug? I was thinking we should do some sort of Facebook Live podcast. Where we answer questions, where it's like an interactive thing.
1: I love that idea, man. That'd be
0: fun, even I if it's maybe to be an outside of podcast. I don't know if it'll be a podcast or not, but I think we should do that, and it'd be fun to have actual live stuff coming in.
1: I think that would be that would be really fun. It would. I might even dress up, oh nice, <laughs> nice as
0: <laughs> as Marty McFly or one of your one of your <laughs> yeah, Maybe so. Maybe so. Good. All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, thank you, Doug, and thank you everyone for listening. All right. Take care. All right. Bye.